good morning. It is a Friday edition, the end of the week edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. And I'm really happy to have you with me. I'm Bruce Hooley, and I thank you for your time and attention today whenever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's right after it's issued this morning, whether it's Saturday afternoon while you're on your mower or playing golf or hitting balls or doing whatever you're doing. Can you tell I have golf on the brain? Yeah, I had a great day Monday playing in a golf outing to benefit the OSU Diamond Club at York Golf Club. Phenomenal golf course. Never played it before. I've seen it from 315. Love it. Love the elevation changes. And I'm playing in an outing tomorrow. And uh, it'll be my third outing, second of three outings I'll play in eight days, which I'm really uh, amazed at because I've only played golf twice all summer uh, until Monday. So, um, yeah, excited. And so I have <clears throat> golf on the brain, but today I've got my mind on my business here on the We Tackle Life podcast. Going to talk some Olympics, going to talk some football, and we're going to talk about gratitude, and we're going to talk about um, a modern view of morality and God's view of morality. So all that ahead, and first and foremost, let me shout out my friends at auinfo.com, Steve, Chrissy, Julie, the whole team, 17 members strong. They'll do a phenomenal job for you because who could know the challenges of small business like a small business themselves? They are great. I know it's hard to believe that you could possibly get great help, a true ally in your business from somebody that won't charge you a dollar, uh, but but it's true. I mean, they get paid. They just get paid by the companies that you select from the list of options that they give you, and they're truly options. They don't have like preferred carriers when it comes to insurance for your employees, so Look, I know it's hard to believe, uh, but it's legit. I wouldn't tell you that it was uh, any way other than that, because what good would a faith and sports podcast be if I ran a double reverse, double switch, duplicitous setup on you? Go to auinfo.com. If you own a business, operate a small business, you may not even think of owning it. You're just like, man, I'm trying to survive, dude. Well, they'll help you survive. They'll help you save money. On your insurance, on your employees' insurance, on your team's insurance, whatever. You got two people in your business, you and someone else. You got 50 in your business. They can handle any size business, but they really cater to small businesses because they understand them being one themselves. Go to their site, auinfo.com. Type into the chat who you are, what you do, what you pay, what can you get. You can do it all on chat. It's that easy. You can do it on the phone. You can do it in person, whatever. Service all businesses in the state of Ohio. You don't have to be in Columbus. You don't have to be in Cleveland. You don't have to be in Cincinnati. You can be anywhere in the state of Ohio. Little teeny towns like, I don't know, um, why can't I think of a teeny town? Mechanicsburg. I bet I you know why I can think of that town. <laughs> AUINFO.com. Do it. Do it now before you forget. Okay, let's start with Buckeye football. Ohio State football, always number one. Don't bury the lead. Uh, we're waiting for Quinn Ewer's arrival. I've talked at length about Quinn Ewers. You can go back to the previous couple podcasts and hear what my thoughts are on Quinn Ewers. I'm going to put out a Twitter poll today and uh, give you the opportunity to weigh in on how many of the four quarterbacks uh, will finish their careers as Ohio State Buckeyes. And I don't mean four years. I mean, never play for another school, whatever. Never transfer or whatever. How many of the four do you think will? Um, I'm going to say one. I'm going to say one. Because they're all, they were all top 13 in their class. Uh, many of them way higher than 13. I think Jack Miller was 13. So that'll be a poll today. But what's really interesting about Ohio State at the moment, if we can depart from quarterback, is defensive end. Because, look, the abundance of riches they have at quarterback 
they also have a defensive end, right? I mean, JT Tuomilau, Jack Sawyer, Zach Harrison, all were equivalent, highly ranked recruits at defensive end, just like Miller, C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, and Quinn Ewers. And now we'll see if the recruiting rankings of Tuomilau and Sawyer and Zach Harrison live up to their billing because Tyler Friday, who I would say is their most proven defensive end, has some kind of an injury. They're not going to tell us what. And he can't play most of the season. And if they get it done at defensive end without him, maybe he'll redshirt and come back for a fifth year. I don't know. Maybe he'll want to get out on that field, show what he can do against the last couple opponents on the schedule. Michigan, Big Ten title game, college football playoff game or games, and go pro. I don't know. But I know that they got to have a pass rush because last year's pass rush was not super good. And everybody expects their pass rush to be great this year with, uh, with even with Tyler Friday out because they'll have Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith. Is it Javante Jean-Baptiste, I believe, is the other guy? And uh, either uh, Sawyer or uh, Tuomilau. Because they like to they really like to rotate. Larry Johnson likes to rotate four defensive ends, and sometimes they play four defensive ends in their rushman package. So, I would put my money on Sawyer, not because he's a Pickerington kid, because he's been there longer. He's had a chance to be in the system. Although, how complicated is it? See quarterback, go get quarterback. That's pretty much what you do as a defensive end. That's what Chase Young did. The Bosa brothers did. It's what they want all their guys to do. So that'll bear watching. I would give Sawyer the edge because. Jack Sawyer looked pretty good in that spring game. Tuomi Lau, we've not seen. Coming in late, all that. How, you know, Sawyer's been in the program. I don't think it's a stretch to say that somebody who has been working out in the Ohio State strength program is probably better off than somebody who's been on his own working out with his high school coaches and traveling to Oregon, Alabama, and Ohio State on recruiting visits. Although I guess Tuomi Lau didn't go to Alabama now that I think about it. Uh, but he was considering Alabama. So we'll see, but that's one position battle worth watching. Another one is running back, where I like Master Teague. They've got a couple good freshmen, and they've got Mayan Williams. And Mayan Williams, you know, if you had to think of a surprise guy in uh, the Alabama game or the Clemson game, uh, obviously Trey Sermon was great uh, against Clemson. Bama got injured, but Mayan Williams... Uh, he's kind of a bouncy, roly-poly, bundle of nasty. And so I wouldn't ru uh, rule out Mayan Williams. So running back and defensive end are two very essential positions because I think last year when they couldn't quite get it done at the running back position nearly to the extent that they did with J.K. Dobbins, but you're not going to have a single-season rushing record every year. Uh, although with this offensive line, whew, they're good. So uh, running back, defensive end, two positions to keep your eye on. And, of course, we wait for the white smoke from the chimney at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center and the arrival of the savior, Quinn Ewers. And um, hopefully he'll escape martyrdom and make millions of dollars as an Ohio State Buckeye. <laughs> All right. A little bit of sarcasm there. Maybe more than a little. All right. Uh, Quinn Ewers is going to need a good attorney because he's going to be uh, – Apparently, a equity partner in a kombucha company. Yahoo, kombucha. And if you want an attorney, Quinn Ewers, and you want it to be in Columbus, Ohio, or the surrounding 
uh, Capital City area. You can't do better than my friends at Willis Spangler Starling. No, you cannot. Willis Spangler Starling's my attorney. If I didn't think they were the best, would I have them as my attorney? Of course not. They're located on Truman Boulevard between uh, the Mill Run area and kind of, what is that road that the post office is on in Dublin? I forget. uh, Not Cosgray. Uh, Anyway, they're just north of Mill Run, and they're specialists in all the big time uh, portions of the law. Most of your cases are wills estate planning, personal injury, probate, um, employment law, social security disability. They do all that and they do more and they do cases uh, sometimes on contingency and they sometimes offer free consultations. I bet if you mention the We Tackle Life podcast, they'll give you a free consultation. I would very much guarantee that. So Willis Spangler Starling, reach out to them online, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. Love the partners, love the paralegals, and love all the associates at Willis Spangler Starling. All right, a little more football before we get into the Olympics. We have football every weekend now because last night we had the NFL Hall of Fame game from Canton. Stadium looks spectacular. Have no idea who won. Don't care. But a really cool moment before the game when Jimmy Johnson found out on set from Jerry Jones, the Dallas Cowboys owner, that Jimmy Johnson will be in the Cowboys' ring of honor. Now you say, ah, I don't care. Talk about the Bengals. Talk about the Browns. Nope. I'm going to talk about Jimmy because Jimmy is a guy I covered at the University of Miami. Jimmy is a really unique guy, a really unique leader. Because when Jimmy came to Miami... He was hired late because Howard Schnellenberger left like in the summertime to go coach in the USFL. And they brought Jimmy in as head coach and required him to keep Howard Schnellenberger's staff. They required him to keep Howard Schnellenberger's staff, which was kind of a toxic thing in a couple spots. But Jimmy was humble enough to realize, you know, these guys are pretty good. And they had an unbelievable staff. Uh, On that staff, Dave Campo was the secondary coach. And I know because I covered that team. So Dave Campo was the secondary coach. He became head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Butch Davis was on that staff, defensive line coach. Dave Wonstadt was on that staff, defensive coordinator. Um. And Gary Stevens was on that staff. Gary Stevens was a grouch, but he was a really good quarterback coach. Joe Brodsky was on that staff. But but the names you should remember as NFL head coaches are Dave Campo, Butch Davis, Dave Wonstadt, all on that staff. And I might be missing a guy. Tony Wise was their offensive line coach. He was fantastic. And that Miami program was kind of what Ohio State is now, just beasts everywhere. I mean, just beasts everywhere. And... uh. Michael Irvin was a part of that team, and Jimmy Johnson obviously was the coach of that team. Jerome Brown was on that team. They just had beasts on that team. Vinny Testaverde was on that team. Bernie Kosar was on that team. And uh, Steve Walsh, who ended up a first-round pick in the NFL, was on that team. So a lot of studs, and I'm so happy for Jimmy because he was fun to cover as a coach. And Jimmy said something to me that as a great leader – being a great leader, I was kind of thinking that he either stated it incorrectly or that he was wrong. He 
He said to me one time, Bruce, I have different rules for every player. And I thought, no, you mean, I even said, you mean the same rules for every player, right? I thought, I thought he misspoke. I didn't want to misquote him, you know, in terms of, I wouldn't have misquoted him to the letter of what he said, but I didn't want to misrepresent his concept. He said, no, I mean, I have different rules for every player. And I'm like, well, how do you, don't they all get jealous and all that? He's like, no, you earn equity with me based upon what you do. And I just thought that was kind of an out-of-the-box way to think. Well, who could question his leadership uh, concepts, given the fact that he won a national championship at Miami? I know he lost to Penn State, but he won one the next year. And given that he won two Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys, and he got the Miami Dolphins to the playoffs. And Jimmy's in the Hall of Fame this weekend, along with Charles Woodson, along with Peyton Manning. And yes, I'm old because I covered all those guys in college. So, great. Uh, good for them and good for Jimmy that he's going in the Cowboys ring of honor, which I know is not as big a deal as going in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but uh, he deserves going in the Cowboys ring of honor. And so I'm happy for Jimmy. Uh, and I thought it was cool that Jerry Jones surprised him with that on the set of um, Fox Sports pregame show. What's really cool about the Hall of Fame ceremonies this weekend is that Peyton Manning is going in and Tom Brady is flying in for Peyton Manning's induction. I think that is so cool because Brady and Manning were rivals, but they were able to compete without hating each other while having enormous respect for each other. And I just think that's such a cool thing for Brady because he's in training camp. You don't have to fly in and he's doing it. And I think that's such a show of respect and also humility on Brady's part. Here are some stats on Brady and Manning, which I was surprised by. If if I told you Brady and Manning played 17 times, how many times do you think Brady won and how many times do you think Manning won? Got your answer? Okay, the answer is Brady won 11 of their 17 meetings. Now that did not surprise me. I might have thought it was more than that. But here's the stat that really surprised me. They met 5 times in the playoffs. How many times do you think Brady won? And how many times do you think Manning won? If I were going to answer that, I would say mm, Brady won four out of five. Maybe three out of five. The truth is Manning won three out of five. I would have never gotten that right. Never in a million years would have gotten that right. Peyton Manning was three and two against Tom Brady in the playoffs. Wow. Shocker. And here's the last stat I'll give you on Brady and Manning. Peyton Manning was the opposing quarterback in Tom Brady's first NFL win. I don't know how many he has, but he got his first one against Peyton Manning. So I think it's cool that people can compete uh, ardently and yet have such enormous respect for each other. And I think that's really classy of Tom Brady to go see Peyton Manning inducted into the Hall of Fame. Okay. Final sponsor read, shout out to my people at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. I hope you're ordering and reordering, and uh, I know Willis Spangler Starling, they uh, are patrons of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. I know a lot of my buddies are patrons of Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. If you've not tasted Hemisphere Coffee Roasters coffee, what are you waiting for? Oh, yeah, you can buy from a woke company like Starbucks. Sure, you'll pay more. Why would you not support a great Ohio company that has a ministry outreach around the world, 
buys its coffee direct from growers, hand-picked beans by people in Indonesia, Thailand, uh, Ethiopia, Nicaragua. You're getting the best coffee in the world. Paul's a very discerning buyer. You, you, you need more than just, hey, hey, I'm a, I, 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 I'll support a ministry effort and I have coffee. Will you buy it? No, 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 no. He turns down far more coffee than he purchases. And if he purchases the coffee, it is legit phenomenal coffee. So get it with a 15% discount on everything you order, their cocoa chocolate, their tea, their coffee, all of it phenomenal. Stop by if you can at their wonderful facility in Mechanicsburg, Ohio. They would love to make you a coffee, and you'll find out there's no better barista than Paul or Grace. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, and shout out to my buddy Andy who works at Hemisphere and reached out and said he likes the podcast, and we got to chatting and forged a relationship, and they are just such great people. I so hope their business continues to prosper because they are doing exactly what you're supposed to do. They're investing their gifts as a way to make a living, glorify God, and help people around the world. So please buy from HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com and use the promo code in all caps, We Tackle Life. All right, a little Olympics. It's going to be a hard day for me to be on the internet researching my show, which will air today at 5 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer, without inflicting a spoiler alert on myself. Allison Felix runs tonight in the Olympics in the 400-meter final, hoping to win a medal, which would make her the most decorated female track and field athlete of all time. She has nine career medals. Merlene Adi of Jamaica, I believe, also has nine. Carl Lewis has ten. He's not a woman, obviously, but she, Allison Felix, could tie Carl Lewis with ten medals and become the most decorated woman in Olympic history. I don't feel fantastic about her chances, but I hope um, I hope she'll have divine strength. And at age 35, medal in her fifth Olympics. Maybe they'll run her in the 4x400 relay, which last night they qualified and won. But uh, Allison Felix, she's, won, she's run the 100, the 200, and the 400 in her career. She's an amazing athlete and, uh, and a very faithful Christian as well. But I enjoy watching um, her humility and her gratitude when she runs. And that's kind of a theme in these Olympics. I noticed the, the Olympians who are very happy to represent America, all express gratitude for the way they've been coached, the way they've been supported, and all that afterward. I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, shout out to the U.S. Beach Volleyball team of April Ross and Alex Kleinman. Wonderful story. April Ross and Kleinman win the gold last night, dominant fashion over Australia, straight sets. And uh, a neat story. April Ross has won bronze, silver, and gold in the last three Olympics. So she's got the Olympic uh, medal collection. She's had three different partners. And Kleinman was an indoor volleyball player and switched to outdoor to partner with Ross. And so they've got it done. Imagine going from never playing the sport to Olympic gold medalist in a four-year, well, I guess a five-year span because the last Olympics was in Rio. But they were great last night, and they were also humble and joyful in victory. And then I got a mention to uh, Katie Najat from Olmstead Falls, Ohio. Got some listeners in Northeast Ohio. She won the gold medal in pole vault. She's a wonderful story. Um, 
a kid who was coached by her dad. Her dad died when she was 16. She says the community of Olmstead Falls just coalesced around her. Olmstead Falls is a really beautiful uh, suburb attached to Cleveland, 9,000 people, uh, a lot like some towns around here, Bell Fountain, Urbana. Um, Olmstead Falls is really cool, and to watch her mom and family and friends celebrate yesterday morning at a tavern that opened up at 6 a.m. so they could watch the pole vault competition and cheer her on. I just just love that story. And she no heighted. Uh, she couldn't make the opening height on her first two attempts, made it on her third, went all the way to the gold medal. Just a phenomenal story. And they're going to have a celebration for her August 13th in Olmstead Falls, which will be great. And um, that's just, you know, it's been neat these last couple days to see um, – Olympians celebrate their wins joyfully, humbly, thankfully. And um, I heard too much about Olympians who don't appreciate the recognition of a career goal to be an Olympian. Life's too short, man. When you accomplish something like that, um, a lot of people have helped you get there and supported you in getting there. And uh, just, I think it's a, it's sad to use the platform you're given as a as an axe to grind. I know there's I know there's uh, justifiable things to um, call attention to. I think there's a better way than um, than I see it done. And um, so that's just my little viewpoint on the Olympics. Um, okay, so now. Let's transition into the faith portion of the podcast. And I have to tell you where the uh, impetus and inspiration for this faith portion of the podcast comes from. Um, yesterday afternoon, I became aware, because in the, in the course of researching my radio show on 98.9 The Answer, uh, of a press conference in downtown Columbus with uh, Columbus Public Health people. And so I was researching what they said. It was Makisha Roberts, uh, Columbus Public Health. It was her Franklin County Health Commissioner, um, uh, Mr. Mazzola. And it was uh, lead doctors from uh, Wexner Medical Center, Nationwide Children's, Ohio Health, maybe somewhere else. Okay, I'm not going to get into the whole vaccine debate and all that. Uh, I firmly believe in individual autonomy on your health and, you know, you you do what you want. Um, but a sentence was uttered during that press conference that, that resonated with me this morning as I was reading my Bible. And the sentence was, I believe, uttered by Makisha Roberts, that it is the moral thing to get a vaccine. Not talking about whether she's right or wrong on getting the vaccine. I just want to talk about morality. I want to talk about equating morality uh, in our culture today. And what the Bible says, which means what God says about morality. For the last couple days, as I've sat in my chair in the morning, I've been kind of, uh, I don't know, intrigued that I've been drawn to some of the Old Testament minor prophets. Uh, I will confess that I am somewhat deficient uh, in reading the Old Testament minor prophets. I don't find 
even some of the major prophets all that compelling. I have occasionally found some scripture in Isaiah that's, you know, meaningful, and I've occasionally found some scripture in Jeremiah that's meaningful, but those are not minor prophets. Those are like big time, you know, A-list prophets, I guess, if you want to put it in the parlance of today. But I found myself like navigating into books like Nahum and Habakkuk, and I don't even know if I said that right. And it's just been a little bit like, what am I doing here? But this is where I've sort of felt like I should be, that I should be in Micah, that I could be in, I should be in Obadiah, I should be in, you know, Hosea, Joel. And I couldn't really make sense of that until thinking this morning about morality uh, because of what was said yesterday at this press conference. And I thought about morality. And then it connected with things that I have been reading over and over and over again in Proverbs. Yesterday, while reading Proverbs, I was reading a chapter that has a lot of things to say about a fool, okay? A fool. And my, my eyes wandered to a footnote at the bottom of the page, and the footnote said that in that culture, the word used for fool is often associated with someone who is uh, morally deficient, someone who traffics in sexual immorality or immorality of any nature. They're morally deficient. So now I got the morality piece from the Columbus Public Health Press Conference. I got the morality piece from Proverbs and the fact that much of what I read about in Proverbs, there are almost entire chapters of Proverbs that deal with um, people described as fools. And then I'm reading these minor prophets, and the message of morality just keeps coming back to me. In Jonah, Jonah 2, verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. In Micah 2, verse 3, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. Um, God talks about um, the house of Jacob and how disobedient the children of Israel were. And he says, Hear this, you leaders of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right. Um, and then you wander into, you know, the book of Micah, and um, that actually was from the book of Micah. And there's more of this kind of dire forecast of bad things for those who do not view and observe 
morality the way God says. And one last passage from Nahum chapter 1. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. So I'm contemplating all this. I'm like, okay, God, what are you, what are you telling me here? What are you telling me in Nahum? What are you telling me in Micah? Why am I even in there? And I wrote this down in my journal um, today, these things. What I do is I write down things that come to my mind, and then I try to ponder them and pray over them and try to connect them for a message that I can give to you. And I think the message God has for me to pass along to you today is to encourage you to contemplate that depth of anger that God expresses in many portions of the Old Testament, including the Minor Prophets. It is clear to me from those dire... um, they're not even predictions because they're going to come true. Does anybody doubt that God lacks the not just the ability, but that it is his plan for that to be an eventual reality for the world? Uh, so it's very clear to me, based upon that, what he must think of our culture today. Uh, we are so decadent. We are so disobedient, so I'll say it, evil, so defiant. And knowing that, how could the same or worse fate written in clear terms about various peoples, tribes, nations in the Bible, how could that same or worse fate be spared us if we continue down this road? Of course, as believers, we Most often, and I believe it's good to most often, ponder and envision and give thanks for the love of God, the grace of God. But as I've said before, God is not like us. We are people who are fractionally made up of different traits and characteristics. There are times that I am a very loving person. There are times I'm an idiot. There are times I'm angry. There are times I'm a jerk. And all of those traits make up a piece of Bruce Hooley. God is different. God is always 100% love, but he is also always 100% holy. And because he is 100% love and 100% holy, he must also be 100% wrath to defend his holiness, to police his holiness, to keep his holiness uncorrupted by other things. He could not be perfectly and totally love and perfectly and totally um, holy without also being perfectly and totally wrath. And We are amid a generation right now in our country that ignores him. I'm not trying to call out individual sin, but it's most often demonstrated. I mean, we we believe we're our own gods, right? We can order our own gender. We can order our own sexuality. All those things, you don't have to, you know, I don't have to go through the Bible and read 
how what God says about sexual promiscuity. Okay, I didn't say sexual orientation. I said sexual promiscuity. If you're cheating on your wife, you're cheating on your husband, you're thinking about it, you're rolling it around in your head, but you're not doing it, that is just, hear me now, just as sinful. You're looking at pornography, you're lusting in your heart, that is just as abominable to God as any other sexual sin you're not tempted by that you rail against because, oh, look at that terrible person. No, 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 no. It all applies to us as well. And when we believe and hoodwink ourselves into believing that, oh, mine is just, you know, it's my natural urges, eh, maybe a little bit out of control, but not like that person, we delude ourselves. We pervert his ways. Paul writes about people who per, who delight in the perverseness of evil. And the fate of those of us and others who do that is, from what you read in the Old Testament, as certain is it is terrifying. And why would we choose that outcome? Why would we choose to have the wrath of God poured out on us when we could choose as Joshua said in the Old Testament, choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs, I should know the citation, but I don't. And I've shared it with you before, I'll share it with you again. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. We're all going to die. That, that's talking about eternal damnation right there. There's a way that seems right to a man. If you've got something in your life that you're holding on to, that you refuse to give to God, that you refuse to repent of, that you refuse to refrain from, you know, it's certainly going to detract from your ability to reward God with a crown of righteousness at the end of your life if you are saved, or maybe it'll keep you out of heaven. I don't know. Um, another verse in Proverbs that which should encourage you, Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful man will be richly blessed. So, sometimes I'll be reading a verse in the Bible, and it'll make me think of someone. And so I'm going to share with you uh, the name that I have written next to Proverbs 5, 21 and 23. And I don't mean this as, I don't mean this as judgmental. I suppose it is judgmental, but it just helps me understand how we can become immersed in a behavior that we may intend to not continue forever, but we confuse our control of our life's timetable. We may assume that we'll have time to order our lives differently, but in fact, we are not in control of our lives. We are not in control of the timetable of our life. We are literally one heartbeat away from having the totality of our life and what we've done with Jesus and how we've, how we've authenticated or failed to authenticate our faith in him with our obedience. We are, we are literally one heartbeat away from that time coming in our life. So I want to read the verse, and then I'm going to read the name I wrote next to it, because I hope that what this does is make you examine 
with great gravity where you are in your life according to this delusion that I got time to take care of that. I got time to take care of that. I'll take care of that someday. Right now, I don't know. Right now, I just can't bring myself to do it. So here's the verse. It's Proverbs 5, verses 21, 22, and 23. And the verse reads like this. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die from lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. I'll repeat it. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die from lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. The name I have written next to that verse is Steve McNair. Now, I don't know where Steve McNair was in his life spiritually, but I know how Steve McNair died. Steve McNair was having an affair on his wife and his family, and he was asleep on a couch with the woman he was having an affair with. Uh, She got up. Apparently, maybe he had told her he was going to end the affair. Whatever was in her mind, we'll never know, because she shot Steve McNair to death while he slept, and then she killed herself. And I've always been so troubled by that story, because number one, I know Eddie George, Eddie, I know Eddie a little bit, and Eddie loved Steve McNair. And there's no reason why he shouldn't have. He was a teammate. Steve McNair was a, he was a football player's football player. He played with great valor and uh, gave everything he had on the football field. And Steve McNair did a lot of good in Nashville, Tennessee, and in many other places. And I don't mean to at all say that I know Steve McNair's eternal destiny. I don't. I certainly hope that he was saved and that he's in heaven right now. But I know that the way Steve McNair left this life tarnished his image, and has to be very painful for his family. I pray they've worked through it. And I bring this up not to condemn him, but to call all of us to account for the rapidity with which things we think we are in control of can be adjudicated on a time schedule we have no control over. I'm hopeful that Steve McNair intended to end that relationship and restore his marriage to his wife and be an even better dad than I'm sure he was to his kids. But the enduring image that some people will have of Steve McNair is the way he died. And that's very sad. And he is an example of what can happen to those of us who conflate our definition of morality, our assumption of how our life will end and when it will end, with the reality that only God is in control of that, and only God knows that. 
And I don't think anyone would want to have their life end the way Steve McNair's ended. The only good that can come from that is for that circumstance to be a stark reminder to all of us that God is in control of every aspect of our lives. We do not want to get to Judgment Day, the final day of our life. We do not want to meet God in eternity and have the... I don't even know how to equate it. Clarity on what was clearly laid out as the eventuality for those who refuse God's offer of grace, forgiveness, salvation, restoration, and instead choose because they clearly did not ponder the depth of rejecting that, the gravity of rejecting that, the destruction of rejecting that. And I so badly want every individual in this world to realize what we are doing when we do not choose the most excellent way, which is to repent and say, Lord, I can't do it. The devil's telling me I can't do it. I know I can't do it. He's right. The devil's right. He's not lying to me. He lies all the time, but he's not lying to me that I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I can't be good enough. Jesus was good enough. Jesus was perfect. Jesus provided a way for me to be saved. And I don't want to continue another minute in charting a course for my life that'll result in the destruction and the pain forecast so often, so clearly, and so terrifyingly in the Old Testament. So um, I guess that's the scared straight edition of, of the We Tackle Life Faith portion of the podcast. But it was really what's on my heart today because of just things that have been kind of stacking up bricks that have been stacking up in the wall this week as I leaf through minor prophets in the Old Testament as I came across that verse in Proverbs 5 the other day it always makes me think of Steve McNair and as I heard the word morality yesterday and I thought you know God defines morality and we can have all the thoughts we want about what is and isn't the sovereign God of the universe decides and only God decides what is and isn't So if you want to know what morality is, you'll find a clear, concise, yes, at times frightening, but totally avoidable definition of it in the Bible. And I encourage you to immerse yourself in its truth because the truth of the Bible and the truth of following Jesus' teaching is, as he said in the book of John, what will set you free, only that. Well, thank you so much for listening. I'd love to have you review the podcast. I'd love to have you leave. Uh, send me an email at wetacklelife at gmail.com. Have a great weekend. I'm going to, because I'm playing golf with my lovely wife and some friends. And we're going to raise some money for the Lyndon McKinley football program, and I'm excited about that. I'll tell you about it Monday on the next edition of the We Tackle Life podcast.